Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to the strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. Today we will discuss aseptic processing, specifically the criticality of training in aseptic processing. My name is Meg Rivers, Senior Editor for Pharmaceutical Technology. In this episode, I speak with Patrick Neubenhausen, Director, Senior Consultant for Pharmalex. Now, when I have these discussions, it's so interesting to see where the conversation flows. And we ended up talking quite a lot about how important proper training is for aseptic processing. But we did, of course, talk about tons of other things. Some of those topics are things like environmental controls, differences in aseptic processing for small and large molecules, how single-use technologies impact aseptic processing, how aseptic processing can be better automated, and much more. I think you guys are in store for a really fun episode. This episode of Drug Solutions is sponsored by CoreRx. CoreRx is a CDMO that provides innovative drug formulation, development, GMP manufacturing, and packaging solutions to global pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical partners, as well as value-added solutions from clinic to commercial scale and across a range of dosage forms. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Mac, for, uh, for having this opportunity and the invite to, to talk about aseptic processing, which is close to my heart. Let's jump into the first question, which is, what is one thing you wish people knew or better understood about aseptic processing? Well, on paper and from the outside, aseptic processing, it sounds easy. You have a product, you fill it in a sterile container, you seal it, and you're done. But despite all the technology that is available, including, say, isolators, steam and processing lines and disposable technology, one must understand that still a lot can go wrong and the human factor is often underestimated. As with interventions from personnel remain, they remain necessary. And these have to be performed in a correct way and adhering to good aseptic practices, of course. And this is more difficult than you would expect. And personnel must be made aware of their potential impact. And therefore, a solid training and qualification program and education program to understand what entails aseptic processing is unmissable for a robust process. And I think that is sometimes a bit, well, almost omitted that they say like, oh, we have all the technology in house. So what could possibly go wrong? Well, you still are dealing with, uh, with human beings. That's something to account for. I find it very interesting that of all the folks that I've spoken with, one thing that's always mentioned of a challenge for aseptic processing is humans. You know, like there's yeah. a lot of mistakes that happen with humans. What do you think is a good way to mitigate that? First, take the time to educate and to train people. First, like you have your standard introduction programs, of course. And what people often don't understand is like simple things like the microbiology aspect around it, like how many particles do we actually shed when we are moving, when we are fast moving. For a lot of people and microbiologists and people who are more experienced, they say, ah, yeah, that's all microbiology, aseptic practices uh, 101. But for newer people, they don't have that understanding and they don't think about it too much when they do an intervention or to make a connection that can have a, a major impact uh, on this. Take the time, let people 
acclimatize almost in the aseptic environment, practice, 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 till they can really dream almost about it and always under good supervision and coach them, tell them what is the right way to do it, what is the incorrect way to do it. So that is uh, that's very important. Okay, so then I have another question for you based on that. And this is like entirely my curiosity. But when you are talking about training employees, are some of the employees maybe from different segments of the manufacturing industry? Like, I think there's a lot of crossover between food and pharma, for example. For the training, is it to acclimatize them to the pharma space or to acclimatize folks specifically to the aseptic processing? The aseptic or the pharmaceutical industry in general, of course, is highly regulated and it must be highly uh, regulated. So a lot of people say if they come from the food industry, which is a very uh, regulated uh, environment as well, but not as regulated as the pharmaceutical uh, environment, they have to get used to that. They think like, oh, wait a minute, I really have to write down account for everything. I have to behave in a certain manner. If you have food poisoning, that can be very, very bad. But if you are dealing with an injectable product, that can have devastating uh, consequences, of course, with people actually dying. Uh, so it's, it must be a given that your uh, medicine that you are producing, that it is of impeccable quality. It, it must tick all the boxes. There is no doubt that it's working, that it's sterile, et cetera, et cetera. So they have to get used to that, specifically then into aseptic manufacturing. That goes then a step further because then you are actually dealing with the product in its at its very last stages. So... If something goes wrong there for whatever reason, then you are basically back to square one with your manufacturing process because you are at the very end of the manufacturing process. What established environmental controls do you recommend having in place for aseptic processing? And are there any environmental controls that are optional? You can exclude potential influences from the background the better, as we've uh, said before, like the human factor. If you can exclude that, that would be very good. Human interventions, they are a very high risk factor. And using isolated technology, that can be a very good solution. However, for different reasons, this might not always be feasible or a good option for manufacturers. And then restricted access barrier systems or wraps can be a good alternative as it is a physical barrier between the operator and your critical zone. Like this is not the case in a classic AB setting whereby the interventions are made by personnel that have to physically enter into the critical zone. And despite all the gowning precautions, the airflows, etc., it poses a big risk for introducing contamination into that area when you don't have that barrier. There is no one-size-fits-all solution for environmental controls, and it really depends on the design of the aseptic manufacturing process, what controls are required. Of course, all direct product components, they must be sterile from the start. Vials and closures can be sterilized in-house or purchased as pre-sterilized. And then altogether aseptically introduced to the process. Back to the wraps and the isolators. All those, uh, these are not mandatory, of course, and therefore can be seen as optional. The new draft Annex 1, as a lot of people have heard about, it does describe that the use of such systems uh, are expected to be considered when building a new or retrofitting a line. So there will be become a larger focus from at least the EU regulators to the reasons why a manufacturer would use barrier technology or not. Now, you had mentioned there is not one size fits all. I'm curious for my own clarification, is that referring to the product or is that re referring to an individual facility? Basically, both you, your facility or your process, it's, of course, tailored. Uh, to the product that you are manufacturing and that you are trying to aseptically process. So for one product or one application might not work for the other one. For example, you have uh, pharmaceutical companies who have uh, different platforms to fill 
and finish their uh, their products. You have vial filling applications, you have uh, pre-filled syringes, blow fill seal technology, etc. It's strongly depending on that. What are key differences in aseptic processing for small versus large molecules? Well, although both molecules are manufactured in a different way, there is no real difference from an aseptic processing perspective, to my knowledge and to my opinion. Both pose the same risks after aseptic fill and finishing of the product, where there is no bioburden reduction step or sterilization step anymore. So regardless if you have a large or a small molecule, if you don't have any terminal sterilization at the very end, if a product gets contaminated, small or large molecule, there is a high risk to the patient. Great. So my next question for you is how do single-use technologies impact or change aseptic processing and what are the pros and cons? Again, a very interesting one. Single-use technology or SUTs, it's rapidly emerging and it brings a number of benefits. The first one uh, that maybe not everyone uh, think about is basically the size of the footprint required when you are using single-use technology compared to, say, the classic stainless steel configurations. For single-use technology, the footprint, what I have seen in the practical world, it's far less when using SUT. You have complete upstream and downstream manufacturing setups that can be configured. And specifically for aseptic processing, it's the same. Manufacturers, they collaborate with the SUT suppliers and they can design a whole aseptic filling uh, setup, including the dosing bags, your transfer lines and your filling needles. And the big benefit of single-use technology, there is no need for cleaning and sterilization validation studies as single-use technology configurations comes as clean systems and they are pre-sterilized. And so afterwards, these also don't need to be cleaned and sterilized again. It takes away basically the risk of cross-contamination between batches or even products if you have a multi-product facility. And because there is no need for cleaning and sterilization, it could potentially reduce your cycle or your turnaround time. SUTs, they also have a longer sterile hold time. Again, for reusable systems, such hold time must be validated and revalidated through your aseptic process simulation or through other uh, validation uh, efforts that you put in. And because the setup is pre-assembled, it also reduces the requirements for make, uh, making aseptic uh, connections. If aseptic connections would be needed, you could use uh, aseptic connectors uh, to prevent open connections. And these all reduce the number of ingress points and therewith, of course, the risk for introduction of contamination from the environment or because of personal handling, as we said at the start. Potential cons, or at least challenges, I would call them, are the design of the the single-use technology, as it must suit the process, of course. And this sounds very obvious, but it takes a long time of trial and error to get the final design ready. And once confirmed, it's very time-consuming to have this changed, and not to mention the delays in manufacturing, of course, or even the the, the product shortages can cause if you have the incorrect uh, setup delivered. The SUT, it must be compatible with the operational uh, conditions. And what I mean with that is that it must withstand or can be compatible the pressure and the temperature the operations are executed at. Maybe it's not so much applicable for aseptic processing, but really something to consider as part of your assessment if single-use technology is a feasible option for a company. And of course, because single-use technology uh, systems, they are made of plastic, manufacturers, they must complete the leachable and extractable studies to demonstrate that there is no components from the SUT are, are leaking into the product that might have an adverse effect, uh, of course. And there are, there are rules and regulations and guidelines uh, for how to conduct these studies. Because SUTs, they are flexible, literally. <laughs> they are also, they can be more susceptible to leaks. So incoming control and checks prior to operations, that's very that's a very critical aspect as well. And last but not least, 
supplier oversight. As a manufacturer, you depend on these components in order to manufacture, of course, while with reusable systems, this is more in control of the manufacturer themselves. One must be assured that when you are making use of, uh, of single-use technology, the supplier has the capability to support these and that it's capable of delivering it as a, at a consistent uh, quality. You had talked a lot about different parts and components and getting it set up at a facility for single-use technologies. How much customization typically happens with single-use technology for aseptic processing? A lot. Of course, you have your standard components, your lines, your bags, your needles, which there is a whole variety of different specs and, and types, of course, as well. But these can be, well, off the shelf, uh, so to call it. But it is the actual design, how you combine all these components together to make it work in your aseptic processing line. That's the big challenge that often the manufacturers are, uh, are facing. My other question is, with single-use technologies, have there been any discussions for making them more environmentally friendly because, you know, they're plastics. Has that been addressed yet by the industry out of curiosity? It's a good question. I was participating in a, in a seminar a while ago and where they also presented on single-use technology. And it is an aspect, it's this balance. What is the environmental impact? Huge, of course, because you have a lot of wasted materials while stainless steel configurations, they, they go on for decades when maintained correctly. With single-use technology, it's in the word you basically discard it, you throw it away. I haven't heard about that manufacturers are paying more attention to, to make them reusable, as in uh, from recyclable materials. Having said that, of course, probably there are manufacturers uh, that are thinking about that to maybe even make them biodegradable or something like that, or when you, when you incinerate them uh, or you make them recyclable so they can be reused again and reprocessed. How do you recommend companies approach selecting sterilization methods for a given molecule or equipment or packaging? It depends on the stability, of course. Large molecule, uh, molecules are so-called biotech products. They can be sterilized by heat or gamma radiation because of the nature of the molecule, of course. The protein is simply denaturated or damaged in, in such way that these won't work anymore. So sterile filtration is then the only option. And to throw another spanner uh, in the wheels for cell therapy products, of course, which is very emerging as well, they can't be filtered because the cells, they are actually larger than the, the microorganisms that you, that you want to filter out. So when filtering it, it would also filter out the cells. And the cells are basically your, your active pharmaceutical ingredient. These complex processes depend even more on the high aseptic skill sets of the personnel. Some small molecules, they are heat resistant. And then the European regulations, they, they, they dictate that you must sterilize them by heat or heat treat the product in order to reduce potential buyer burden. So there's a whole decision tree uh, available uh, for that or use an alternative sterilization method like gamma irradiation. In all other cases, the same principle apply then if the molecule cannot be sterilized, aseptic processing must be followed. And as mentioned before, there is no one size fits all or preferred option for sterilization of equipment or packaging materials. We spoke about in the previous questions, of course, about single use technology and the advantages and the challenges it brings. And the same applies for packaging materials. When containers and closures are cleaned and sterilized in-house, it must be done using a validated process on qualified equipment, of course, which are subject to periodic revalidation and requalification. The technology is proven and it is robust in, and there are many different configurations uh, possible. For pre-sterilized containers and closures, vendor qualification, again, is paramount and the quality control of your incoming materials is, uh, is equally important. Like SUT, it can save turnaround time, which is a benefit, 
And the challenge can be how pre-sterilized materials are introduced then into your process with the assurance of maintaining that your components remain sterile and the process itself, of course. What solution is best? It, it really depends on the design of your facility, of your process. And when designing a new process, it depends on the product type and the final configuration. As mentioned before, are you filling it in pre-filled syringes or in vials, profile sealed, etc. The company's preference and in-house knowledge, of course, together with the financial aspects on the shorter and longer term, they also will dictate what is a what is a good solution uh, for for the company when redesigning an existing uh, existing configuration. The option might be less flexible, and I always recommend to follow good risk assessment and process measuring the pros and the cons of each solution or each option available whether it's a new design or an existing process to make this balanced decision, what is the best option for, for a company? Next question for you is, what are the disadvantages of aseptic processing compared to terminal sterilization of products? If you can terminally sterilize the product, you must do this as it is a regulatory requirement. And of course, a terminally sterilized product has a higher level of assurance that the product is actually sterile because it goes through a validated sterilization process. This cannot be guaranteed for an aseptically manufactured product as it speaks in terms of probability that the final product will be sterile. With the sum of all aseptic controls in place, it, it dictates this probability. Still, for terminally sterilized product, contamination control measures must be in place to prevent microbial contamination or the in introduction of microbial byproducts like endotoxins. However, because the products can be sterilized for uh, terminally sterilized products, these are less stringent. For example, filling can be done in a lower classified area compared to the mandatory grade A environment. For aseptic processing, gowning requirements are uh, less stringent, to name a few, and hence operating costs are less. And where we started with the sterility assurance for terminally sterilized product is just simply higher. What are the greatest risks for aseptic processing and how can they be proactively addressed? Well, and I would say back to the start, first, the human factor, and second, bad engineering design. It's generally accepted and acknowledged that people are the highest risk factor for introducing microbial contamination to an aseptic environment, and, the, and there it also the product. This is because we carry microorganisms, of course, all over our body, and we disperse them constantly. Exclusion of the human factor uh, by use of closed systems, barrier technology, and reduction of interventions would significantly uh, reduce that risk. But that is not always possible or feasible. The first barrier then is proper gowning, of course. Clean room gowns, they work like a personal filter and they reduce the shedding of particles like skin flakes and microorganisms. And as mentioned, personnel must be very aware of their potential impact of the aseptic process they can have. Training, qualification and education are unmissable with frequent refreshers, uh, I would say. And, and I deliberately mention education as it creates an understanding of what can happen when things go wrong and then anticipate how to correct or prevent it. And it also enhances peer-to-peer -peer coaching because people, they, they can see what a person does rightly or wrongly. So that, uh, that helps uh, that, that open communication as well. The second one, as I mentioned, is bad engineering. Bad engineering design is, is setting up for failure. And as one of my teachers of university uh, back in the day said, like no amount of qualification can turn a bad engineering system in, into a good one. You just might be lucky. So a sound design manufacturing facility, the utilities and the equipment, they are eminent for a reliable and, and a robust aseptic process. Good engineering practices, they are to be adhered to and constantly followed. It's a very specialist uh, job, and for that you need a reputable uh, professional to help you with that, uh, with the, uh, the relevant aspects of that. And then, of course, periodic maintenance of the same 
to check in regularly if your equipment and your utilities, utilities are still working correctly and are not damaged or shows uh, signs of deterioration. It should be done before it breaks down, obviously. Uh, clean room equipment and utilities, they work, must work simultaneously just to provide robust aseptic process, minimizing interruptions and errors and malfunctioning of equipment. All these factors together, they, that's also known as a contamination control strategy. And a well-developed contamination control strategy brings all these individual elements together in one overarching program that is summarized in a document. And it summarizes basically all the controls and practices and their rationales in one place. And that gives you the visibility as to where various parts are supporting or augmenting each other, or where the potential gaps are that require remediation to reduce uh, the identified risks uh, that you have. A well-established contamination control uh, strategy does not rely on a single point of failure, but has redundant elements in place as a backup. And as such, it, uh, it gives you a proactive manner of addressing these risks and ultimately then preventing them. You had mentioned training. I guess this is something that my brain has caught on today. But for the training specifically, is it an apprenticeship when it comes to aseptic processing? Are there courses that people have to take every single year that are regulated? Yeah, there are courses. Here in Ireland, we have, uh, we have an institution or several institutions that give online hands-on practical courses. Uh, they, they, they have mimicked a clean room environment where people can, in a safe manner, basically operate an aseptic process, which is very handy. And I'm aware that there are other European-based institutions uh, as well. So that is very handy. It's, it is worth to invest the time and money for people to get them trained and educated like that because it is your final product that you are talking about. So it's very important to get that training. It's also a, a mandatory regulatory requirement to give people the right level of training. Of course, it depends per company what they, de they determine and they define as the right level of training. But uh, it is even in the current Annex 1, it is specified that, uh, that people must receive the right level of, of training, including an introduction to, uh, to microbiology. How can aseptic processing be better automated, if at all? That the companies accept the process and assess what manual activities are there. As we mentioned previously, human, they, they pose the highest uh, risk to environment and, and product contamination. And nowadays, a set of processes that can be fully automated with in-process checks performed online, for example, fill weight uh, checks. Adjustments are made outside the critical zone where needed, so there is no uh, need for interventions for that. And the introduction of sterilized containers can be fully automated, and the same applies for container closures, etc. For lyophilization processes, there are fully automated loading and unloading configurations that exclude basically the need for manual handling of your filter product. And although not fully automated, the use of isolated technology provides the advantage of an integrated uh, and automated decontamination cycle for the surfaces within the grade A environment. The same applies for integrated and automated uh, clean in place or CIP and steam in place or SIP systems uh, and equipment. It's the advantage that they are fully automated and it, uh, it has the advantage also that compared to offline cleaning and sterilization, that you don't have to assemble them after sterilization in the critical zone. Since a few years, there's even an isolated before, uh, developed by a Canadian company that I, uh, that I saw uh, a few years ago that does not require human interventions at all. The only intervention, and that's ironically, that is needed is the change of, of environmental monitoring samples, which is made mandatory <laughs> as a mandatory requirement by the European regulators when they were evaluating the system. So it's although they designed the line in such way that uh, no human interventions were required, 
the European regulators said like, oh, that's fine, but you need to do environmental monitoring. And, and that basically led to human interventions. It's there, there are a lot of options for automation of your aseptic processing. You're just looking at the company, well, like uh, what are the current manual aspects that you do and how can you automate them? But there are plenty of opportunities and, uh, and systems out there that can help you with that. What aseptic processing trends have you seen? We have mentioned a great number of technologies throughout this webcast, and these are all making an increased appearance within the world of aseptic processing. Like use of wraps and isolators is definitely a trend, uh, whether it's for new facilities or when the people are retrofitting their facilities. As I mentioned, it is now even strengthened by the draft Annex 1. So companies are definitely looking uh, for these solutions, including the integrated CIP, SIP uh, options. And of course, single-use technology is emerging more and more for the early mentioned reasons and the benefits uh, that it uh, brings. And my final question for you is, if you could give a single piece of advice to companies who utilize aseptic processing, what would it be? Pay good attention to your training and your qualification program and educate, educate your personnel across the company. And it's not only the aseptic filling operators, of course, because all personnel, they all play their part in the success of an aseptic process and having that understanding uh, how they contribute, it's very important. Aseptic processing can be very complicated and a, a, a very cumbersome undertaking and providing them with the right tools and equipment and learn them how to use them, uh, that is basically a very key aspect of the success. Is there anything that you would like to add that we haven't discussed yet? As I mentioned before, what is now also more and more emerging is that there is an expectation that companies have a contamination control strategy in place. So that is, I would say, the next uh, big thing that people start to focus on. And it helps to identify their uh, gaps and their shortcomings in their aseptic process. And that gives them the opportunity to enhance the process. Ultimately, all, of course, with the benefit of better quality products and uh, more protection for the patient. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the Pharmaceutical Technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our newsletters. When you sign up for our e-newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars, and hear about episodes of Drug Digest, which is a video series. Thank you to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. We will see you next time.